You're listening to Earshot from WXXI News. I'm Veronica Volk. This week, a nationwide shortage of veterinarians means some pets can't get the care they need. I've gotten phone calls as a receptionist where you can hear the anxiety and the panic in their voice where they're like, you know, I've called everybody and I don't know what to do. Plus, child care providers are struggling to keep masks on toddlers. They're taking their mask off, setting it on the table. They're taking their mask off, it's on the floor. All that from your local news podcast, Earshot. Support for Earshot from WXXI News is provided by Rock Vox Recording and Production, presenting Legacy Cast, audio and video recordings of loved ones telling their stories for posterity. Produced in a full-service studio located in Bushnell's Basin. More at rocvox.com. There's a lot of talk of a worker shortage. Help wanted signs hang in the windows of hotels and restaurants. Industries like manufacturing, construction, even education are having a hard time filling open positions. And the same is true for veterinary medicine. My colleague Beth Adams looked into this, She found there just aren't enough vets locally to meet the needs of pets and their owners. She has this story. Erin Guara lives in Greece. She's had pets all of her adult life. Your black pants are going to get covered in hair. (laughs) Right now, two dogs and three cats. In May, when she adopted Bella, the yellow Labrador retriever had an ear infection. That's normally something a general practitioner would treat, but Guara's primary vet couldn't fit her in the schedule for more than a month, so she took the dog to an urgent care. You know, they took her blood, they made sure they got a urine sample, they did a lot of stuff, which was great, but it's just like, you know, you don't expect to spend like three hours at the vet appointment. A few weeks later, a second visit was needed after the primary vet was unable to get Bella in anytime soon for a follow-up, and the cause for emergency care can add up pretty quickly. You know, just to walk in the door is like $95. It's part of the new reality for pet owners because of a crisis in veterinary medicine. There's greater demand for services than most practices can meet. It's hard to tell people no, but at the same time, you can only see so many pets uh, in a certain day. Otherwise, you quickly get burnt out. Dr. Mark Will is president of the New York State Veterinary Medical Society. He says the COVID-19 pandemic fueled a perfect storm of circumstances, a labor shortage, staff turnover, and temporary limits on non-essential care that created a backlog of appointments. Will is 53. He says younger veterinarians coming into the profession don't want to work long, irregular hours. In his own practice in the Mohawk Valley, the staff veterinarians work four days a week, and they're never on call. If I wanted to hire doctors here and say you were going to be on call, I would never have a doctor apply. Doctors aren't expecting you to do on call anymore. And in the current labor market, they can demand more work-life balance. Recent ads seeking critical care veterinary specialists on Long Island were offering signing bonuses of $30,000 and $50,000. Dr. Susan Cousins says veterinarians are in high demand locally, too. Here in the Rochester area, I find that veterinarians are having a very difficult time attracting new associates. Cousins is a per diem vet. Uh, I work on a consultant basis, and I fill in at a number of different veterinary practices when they need the extra help. She's noticed a change in her profession over the last five to ten years. The whole interaction between people and their pets and the human-animal bond 
pets becoming more like family members. Cousins says it's wonderful that people are more committed to their pet's health, but that translates to more demands on veterinarians' time. It's difficult to see animals in a 15-minute appointment slot anymore. So a lot of practices have extended appointment times, even before COVID, to 20- and 30-minute appointments. So you take fewer appointments, fewer staff, and all of a sudden you're, you're running out of room. Cousins is concerned that some pets aren't getting the care they need. There are some practices that are even suggesting people go to Buffalo or Syracuse for emergency care, or Cornell, for that matter. Bethany Mosier of Webster didn't have that far to go, but she did face a heartbreaking delay in end-of-life care for her 18-year-old cat. Buga had gastrointestinal cancer. In June, when his quality of life suddenly declined, Mosier called the Pittsford practice where her cat was a regular client. I believe it was on a Wednesday and said he hasn't eaten for a couple days, I think, We're at the point where he's at the end of his life here. And um, they said, we can't get you in until next Tuesday. The vet's office told Mosier they sometimes have cancellations and to call back the next day. So I called every morning for the rest of that week asking if they had cancellations and they didn't. But they did have emergency hours on Saturday starting at 2. We showed up like a few minutes before 2 o'clock and the parking lot was already packed. Because of COVID-19 restrictions, all of those people couldn't just pile into the animal hospital at once. So Mosier and Buga had to wait their turn. They were in her car for three hours before the vet was able to euthanize the cat. It was sort of agony just sitting around waiting for it to happen. Neither Mosier nor Guara blame veterinarians for their experiences. They say they understand vets are under a lot of pressure and are doing the best they can. Still, when pet owners can't get care for their animals... It's stressful. I've gotten phone calls as a receptionist where people, you can hear the the anxiety and the panic in their voice where they're like, you know, I've called everybody and I don't know what to do and it's a legitimate problem. That's Jackie Sasson. She's a receptionist at Southtown Veterinary Hospital in Henrietta. She says the practice will sometimes make room for pets that aren't established clients if it's an emergency. We had a young dog that broke its toenail at the base, so it was bleeding all over, and their regular hospital they usually go to would not see them. And they had called, I think the owner said, seven hospitals before they got to us, and our doctors did what they always do and said yes. That, of course, means extra work for veterinarians and their staffs. Emergency medicine right now, it's in crisis. Long and unpredictable hours is a big reason more vets don't specialize in emergency care, according to Dr. Maureen Lushini. Despite all the good that you do during your shift, you were leaving worrying about the patients you couldn't see. Lushini is a medical director at an emergency veterinary practice in Syracuse. Until this past summer, she chaired a statewide task force to address the situation. She had to give up the leadership role because she was too busy just trying to keep up with her work. She also blames the shortage of veterinarians in this state on New York's licensing requirements. Lucini calls them antiquated and cumbersome. I cannot get a relief doctor to come to New York State because they know the licensure process is so terrible that they won't even consider coming here. She says more mentorship is needed for veterinary school graduates who want to transition into emergency medicine. In the meantime, she says it's up to pet owners to practice preventive care. Keep them on a leash. Do not allow them to get heated outdoors. If they're not vaccinated, don't take them to the dog park. Having an established relationship with a veterinarian is important now more than ever. 
Dr. Mark Will says two-thirds of the emergency cases he sees are pets that haven't seen a vet in a year or more. I think the days of, I, I need a vet right now and I can't find one, are kind of over. If you don't have that relationship with your veterinarian, it's going to be really hard to access veterinary care. Will says it will pay off if people schedule their pets' routine appointments well ahead of time. He says this might mean adjusting expectations. Like if you compare uh, getting an appointment with a veterinarian to getting an appointment with our own medical doctor, I know that if I don't schedule six months out, I don't get an appointment. That all makes sense to Erin Guara, but she wonders... Will people be able to keep up with it? I think, sadly, it's a little bit difficult for some people to, you know, with juggling everything, to be like, hey, oh yeah, let me make sure I get my animal in, when sometimes they don't even, you know, take care of their routine things for their own health, you know? It's sad because the animals will be the ones suffering. Beth Adams is the host of Morning Edition for WXXI News. Hi, this is Megan Mack from WXXI, and if you're enjoying Earshot, subscribe to our other podcast, Connections with Evan Dawson. Catch up on discussions about current events, arts, politics, and interesting people. Subscribe to Connections with Evan Dawson wherever you find your podcasts. Until a few weeks ago, kids under the age of five were not required to wear masks in daycare. But now they are. And if you have a kid, or even if you know one, you know sometimes it can be hard to get a two-year-old to do something they might not want to do. Amy Feireisel is a reporter with North Country Public Radio. She talked to child care providers about this, and many say masking very young children is impractical, unsanitary, and won't help slow the spread of anything. She has this story. Two- and three-year-olds do not wear masks well. They're taking their mask off, setting it on the table. They're taking their mask off, it's on the floor. That's Becky Fillion. She's the director of a child care center in Rouse's Point that cares for about 50 kids. Toddlers do not willingly wear masks on their face. Having this age group do it is just so not feasible and, and not sanitary. Toddlers drool. They have runny noses. Their masks get dirty really quickly. So I feel like there's far more germ transmission going on right now than there ever was before we had to put masks on them. It's been two weeks like this, ever since Governor Hochul announced all kids aged two and up would have to wear masks in daycare. Now, here's the interesting thing about the new rule. It's not actually new. The Cuomo administration first introduced it back in May, but the pushback was so strong the rule was rescinded in less than two days. But four months later, it's back. And there's been barely a peep from politicians this time, says Filion. I don't know if it's fatigue, if it's it's because there's a different administration. And this time we're just not hearing it. The new old rule is now a regulation set by the Office of Family and Children's Services, which regulates child care in New York. When asked to comment on the rationale behind the rule, OFCS pointed to the Delta variant of COVID-19, saying that because of it, quote, There have been large increases in cases across all age groups. The goal is to keep children safe and child care providers open, end quote. Kathy Broder, director of the Jefferson Lewis Child Care Project, says the premise of the regulation makes a lot of sense. We can't afford to have child care programs closed down and go into quarantine. It seems like a good precaution to take for children and, and for child care workers. 
But she also says the providers she serves are struggling to make the rule work. They include Faith Miller, who runs a family daycare out of her home in Clayton on the St. Lawrence River. I believe that school-aged children and adults are more than capable of wearing a mask properly. I'm definitely pro-mask. They do not belong on toddlers. She says five-year-olds are excited to be like adults and like to model behavior. Even her four-year-olds can somewhat tolerate masks and be reasoned with. And a younger, no way. You know, two-year-olds aren't really known for being reasonable. They don't have that ability to, you know, look around and make sense of things. They just know what makes sense in their world. And that's led to a lot of behavioral issues. Kids crying as they're dropped off, starting every day with a tantrum. Because you're constantly on them about something that they really don't want to do and they don't understand. They just think, oh, you know, Miss Faith is being mean. (laughs) I mean, we're supposed to supply a warm and nurturing atmosphere. And how are we doing that if our kids are having meltdowns because they don't understand what's going on? And Miller, alongside the other providers I spoke with, have serious doubts that all the agony will actually result in preventing the spread of COVID-19. There's the soggy, spitty masks, but also they eat four meals a day unmasked. The kids nap for hours unmasked. And the kids unmask themselves as often as they can. As soon as you turn your back to put a mask on another child, the child you just masked took it off. Heather Wainwright, a family daycare provider in Rensselaer Falls, says the better way to prevent COVID-19 from spreading in daycares is what they've already been doing, cleaning and hygiene protocols and focusing on adults. All of my parents are vaccinated. Everyone in my household's vaccinated. We're very safe. You know, my kids and my husband, we all wear masks when we go out because I run a daycare. It's worth noting that to date, less than 2% of COVID-19 cases nationwide are in under five-year-olds. And there haven't been lots of cases or outbreaks in childcare homes or centers in New York. The current increase in child cases is being driven by school-aged children. Wainwright and the other providers say masking toddlers isn't an effective way to minimize risk if the toddlers can't be masked. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to go to Walmart and we're going to shop for a half an hour and you're going to wear a mask. It's another to say, okay, you're here, you're at daycare for 10 hours and you're going to wear a mask. Providers say it's just too much to ask of kids that age. But the regulation is forcing their hand. Mask the kids or risk your license. Amy Feireisel is a reporter with North Country Public Radio. And that's it for Earshot. As always, drop us a line at earshot at wxxi.org and tell us what you think of the show. Subscribe to this podcast, leave us a review, and tell your friends about us. Find more news on our website, wxxinews.org. Music this week from Blue Dot Sessions and Poddington Bear. I'm Veronica Volk. Thanks for listening. This program is a production of member-supported WXXI Public Broadcasting, Rochester, New York.